1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This episode picks up from our last episode, episode 100. It's called 10,000 Feet in the Air. If you haven't listened to that one yet, you may want to go back and listen to them in order. Martin McNally hijacked a plane, lost the money parachuting to the ground and was surrounded by FBI agents near his house a few days later. He was given two life sentences and sent to Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary in Kansas.
2: When I went to prison, the do- doors open, Pandora's box is open, and I will do anything and I will do everything to get out of prison because I'm not never I'm not going to accept it and I never did accept it. And the fact is, I should be free.
1: It was there, in 1975, that he met another hijacker. His name was Garrett Trapnell.
2: Okay, Garrett Trapnell. I like that dude. He was a solid, smart,
0: genius. Garrett Trapnell was a a maniac. He is kind of like a combination of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Catch Me If You Can with D.B. Cooper and like a little bit of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was both petty, um, but also kind of a megalomaniac. Um, And he was sort of a bomb that he would sort of drop into people's lives and use them how he wished um, for his own gains. And uh, he found... uh, sort of a counterpart in McNally.
1: This is Danny Wissentowski, a reporter for the Riverfront Times in St. Louis. Garrett Trapnell was said to have had six different wives at the same time, and at least 25 aliases. In 1972, just months before Martin McNally hijacked his plane, Garrett Trapnell hijacked a plane from Los Angeles to New York. He was one of the 130 hijackings that happened between 1968 and 1972. Garrett Trapnell pretended to have a broken arm, and he hit a gun in the fake cast. He demanded $306,800 and a phone call with President Nixon. After the plane landed in New York, an FBI marksman posing as a member of the flight crew shot Garrett Trapnell and took him into custody. This wasn't Garrett Trapnell's first arrest. He'd been arrested at least 20 times before for robbing banks, forging checks, and stealing more than $100,000 worth of jewelry from a store in the Bahamas. And for all those crimes, he'd spent less than two years in jail.
0: He developed this tactic of studying psychiatry And he was able to use the insanity defense as a strategy to um, get himself out of prison situations and into mental hospitals where he could either be released after a year, which happened a number of times, or escape outright.
1: In an interview, Garrett Trapnell bragged that he knew more about psychiatry than your average resident psychiatrist. He described the insanity plea as a license to kill. He said he could go out on the street in New York, shoot ten people, and be free in six months. He added that, of course, he'd never do a thing like that. In 1973, he used the insanity plea during his trial for the hijacking. It was a hung jury. During the second trial, Garrett was convicted, given a life sentence, and sent to Leavenworth. That's where he met Martin McNally.
2: I knew his case, and he knew my case, and uh, at one particular point there, uh, I said, listen, if I ever uh, have an opportunity, I'll uh, snatch a plane and demand your release. And he said, "Uh, Mac, if if that happens, uh, I'll do the same thing for you.
1: The two plane hijackers started coming up with a plan to get out of prison, using the very thing that got them in there in the first place. As Garrett Trapnell once said, escaping is as American as apple pie. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Garrett Trapnell was sent to prison in 1973. And by 1976, a journalist named Elliot Asinoff had published a book about him. It was called The Fox is crazy too. The subtitle was The True Story of Garrett Trapnell, adventurer, skyjacker, bank robber, con man, lover.
0: There's this line at the beginning where Asenov is describing him, um, this moment where Trapnell is in the midst of this hijacking. And he, he writes, it was as if he thrived on the brink of a towering precipice, a man for whom danger was the stimulant that sparked his genius. His mind was as sharp as his speech, his eyes took in everything figuratively and literally. He kept his back to the wall. This was kind of the picture that he was painted as, this outlaw, this this person who discard, who both used people but was above it. He was like a main character of a thriller novel but who lived in real life. Um, and the, the book is really, you know, gives you a sense of of kind of the spell he could put you under.
1: At the end of the book... The author printed Garrett Trapnell's address at Leavenworth. He received a lot of fan mail, much of it from women.
2: Uh, he's certainly got a gift to Gab, and uh, that gift to Gab uh, had all the women uh, flying to him like uh, in his uh, flytrap that uh, he could get him.
1: These fan letters were forwarded on to him when he was relocated to the first federal supermax prison, the U.S. Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois. Martin was sent there, too. They happened to end up in the same cell block, just two cells apart from each other. That's where they were when Garrett got a letter from a 43-year-old woman named Barbara Oswald. She had read The Fox is Crazy, too, It was required reading for a criminal justice course she was taking. Do you remember Garrett telling you about her?
2: Of course. What did he say? Of course. He showed me letters that uh, uh, she had written him, and uh, Garrett was spending hours and hours and hours writing to her.
1: Barbara Oswald was a former Army flight controller. She was a single parent living in a suburb of St. Louis after a motorcycle accident a couple of years before she'd left the Army and was studying criminal justice, specifically inmate rehabilitation. She and Garrett wrote for months. She said she loved him. She started visiting four times a week. She would sometimes bring her teenage daughter Robin on visits. Martin says that Garrett promised Barbara that they were going to run off together to Australia. He even showed her photos of the house where they were going to live.
2: He comes back from a visit one time, knocks on my door, and uh, he said, uh, can I come in? I said, yes, come on in. I said, what's up? He said, how would you like to leave this this place in a helicopter? And I said, well, uh," I paused, well... uh, Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to discuss this. We'll have to discuss the details before I make a decision on something like that. Uh, But yeah, let's, let's look into this.
1: Martin and Garrett looped in a third man, a bank robber named Kenny Johnson. He would help them rob a bank once they were out. Within a few months, they had a plan in place. It all hinged on Barbara Oswald. She would hijack a helicopter and pick them up.
2: He convinced her. He
0: he told her, he says, uh, you could do this. I think there was a sense of almost disbelief that this could actually happen, because they virtually had to do nothing. All they had to do was make sure they were in the right place of the yard, getting ready to run. And that's really it. They're, you know, in the moment, imagining what it'll be like to fly out of this prison, shooting down at the guards as they go.
1: And what happens?
0: everything goes wrong.
1: Barbara Oswald followed their instructions exactly. She put a diagram of the prison yard in her pocket. She hid guns in her briefcase. She made up a story about being a real estate agent interested in seeing aerial views of some property. And on May 24, 1978, she went into St. Louis and chartered a helicopter.
0: And for some reason, she gets into a helicopter being flown by the worst possible person she could have chosen.
1: A former Vietnam combat pilot named Alan Barkledge.
0: And Barbara Oswald tells him that she wants to look at some property, um, you know, in the area from above, some flooded areas. Um, The flight starts, and not long after, Barbara yanks off his headset, puts a gun to his temple, and says, you're flying to Marion, and we're going to get Garrett out.
2: We saw the chopper. All three of us saw the chopper at about 5,000 feet. And it was coming over the trees, and, and there was a high whining, like a, a muffler. It'd go... And then when it gets out of the trees, in the uh, open ground, it would go... The difference on that. So when I heard it go... I yelled out. I says, now, now, go. As we're waiting there, I'm jumping up and down, standing on a yellow jacket, and I'm waiting for the pilot to see me, and then uh, I hear the rotor or the chopper. It's a, and it's, it's, it's a level. It's not moving. And you know, I, I hear it uh, start to uh, run down. In other words, shut down. And I, I looked over to Trap and I said, Oh, Trap, we got a problem here.
1: national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. As the helicopter hovered over the prison, the pilot, Alan Barkledge, who was now being held at gunpoint by Barbara Oswald, noticed all the armed guards in the prison towers.
0: And his survival instinct starts to click in. He figures there's no way that they're going to let me take this helicopter out of this prison with those guys inside. I'm going to die. And so he does something that, you know, is is kind of unbelievable even to describe. He tells Barbara Oswald, you should open the doors while we're still up here. Um, They're very heavy and they're difficult to open and if you're concerned about time, do it now. Barbara Oswald begins to struggle with these heavy metal doors and she shifts the gun um, out of the hand she was using to point at him. She's now holding the gun in her right hand and her fingers off the trigger. And then Alan Barklage turns around, he takes his hands off the controls, and he grabs the gun in her hand.
1: He told investigators later that her last words were, it doesn't matter, I've got another one. She reached under the seat. And that's when Alan Barklage. Shot her four times, he said. He just kept pulling the trigger until he saw her slump over. One bullet blew a hole through the helicopter window. Alan Barklage managed to regain control of the helicopter and safely land it seventy feet away from the prison administration building.
0: And down on the ground, McNally is sort of hopping up and down, waving his arms, and they see the helicopter land in the wrong spot. And instead of Barbara, you know, with the door open waving them in with, you know, handguns and and weapons, they see a guy in a blue flight suit run out of the helicopter and run into an administration building. He is terrified of what he's just done. He's also terrified of being shot by the guards. And eventually he's confronted by prison guards who, with their, you know, weapons drawn. And Alan Barklage is beside himself. You know, according to the guards, you know, in in these later investigations, the guards are saying they came upon Alan Barkledge, who was just repeating over and over again, I've been hijacked, I've killed someone, I've been hijacked, I've killed someone. When
2: Trabnell came back from being talked to, uh, he said, "Uh, Barbara's been shot and killed by the pilot. And I said, damn, oh God.
1: Martin, Garrett and Kenny were each charged with attempted escape and kidnapping and waited for their trials. Garrett insisted on defending himself. And because of that, he was given certain privileges. He was actually able to inspect the site of the crash.
0: And he's also given leeway to interview his own witnesses. And one of those witnesses is Robin Oswald, um, the 16-year-old daughter of Barbara.
1: After her mother's death, Robin dropped out of high school. She wrote letters to Garrett Trapnell. A friend of Robin's told the newspaper that Garrett was like a father to her. Robin said Garrett told her about all the things she could have, a horse, all the clothes she could ever want, the Jeep she'd always talked about. But he could only do that if she helped him escape. Here's Garrett in a TV interview recorded years later.
2: I felt a responsibility. I was the one who caused her mother's death. Uh, at the same time, I wanted to get out of prison.
0: He convinces Robin to finish the work that her mother started.
1: On December 21st, 1978, 17-year-old Robin Oswald boarded a flight in Louisville, headed for Kansas City, prepared to follow the instructions Garrett had given her. Five minutes before the plane landed, she handed the flight attendant a note. It said that she had three sticks of dynamite strapped to her waist. She demanded to be taken to the small airport near the Marion Prison in Illinois, and for Garrett Trapnell to be released and brought there. There are some problems. First, she was supposed to have made the demand in the first five minutes of the flight, not the last. Second, the dynamite wasn't real.
0: She hijacks a plane herself at the age of 17 with no weapons and with nothing more than what will turn out to be road flares and a detonator that is, you know, fashioned from some pieces of plastic that are connected to nothing. And she just keeps repeating, I want Garrett.
2: You'll have some of the toughest guys in prison talk about what they're going to do. And they never do anything. And uh, here was a she turned seventeen. He was a seventeen year old girl who went out and took a plane to break someone out of prison. You know I don't think you know, I don't think hearts get any bigger than that.
1: After the plane landed in Illinois, no one was let off. Everyone waited for Garrett Trapnell to be brought to the airport. Robin requested sandwiches, coffee, and milk. One passenger later told newspapers, that she kept talking about her mother and how she died in a helicopter.
0: You know, later, the passengers on that plane would, um, you know, tell news reporters that, you know, she was in charge, but she wasn't mean. Another man said, you know, her grammar was good, never used a curse word, everything was please and thank you. And, you know, he recounted that at some point, Robin even sort of quipped to a stewardess, aren't I the nicest hijacker? At the same time, when the FBI are looking at this, they're trying to figure out if she has a real bomb.
1: The FBI knew that Robin's mother had been able to get weapons, and they assumed Robin could as well. Some passengers pretended they were going to the bathroom and snuck off the plane, but there were still people on board.
0: And so they were faced with a very tense situation. Eventually, though, the mechanical issues on the plane meant that a lot of the, circula- the air circulation went off. It got very hot and uncomfortable. And Robin steadily allowed more and more people to leave the flight. And When she was distracted, basically the rest of the plane emptied out and she eventually surrendered to the FBI after 10 hours and she was taken into custody.
1: And what happened to
0: her? It's hard to say. Um, a lot of the reports around the time said that she was put in juvenile detention, that she was released not long after that she was not, you know, considered an adult, she didn't do a lengthy amount of time, and she really disappears.
1: A lot of what we know about her comes from an interview she gave to an FBI crime show. Her face was hidden. She said, quote, I think he was very wrong for involving other people in his dirty work. At 16 years old, you think you know all, and you don't. I was just a little kid. Garrett Trapnell was never charged for any involvement in Robin Oswald's case. Both Trapnell and Martin McNally were found guilty in Barbara Oswald's case and returned to Marion Prison to serve life sentences on top of their existing life sentences.
0: He, McNally describes both himself and Trapnell as monsters who destroyed an entire family, Robin's life, um, Barbara's life, and that she had just wanted something very similar i think that he did to make something of herself to to do something adventurous and larger than life to be the main character of your own masterful thriller you know the to be that adventurer the lover you know, the you know to be you know someone who would be on the cover of a pulp paperback
1: Garrett Trapnell didn't try to escape again. He died in prison in 1993. Martin McNally was released on parole in 2010. He lives in St. Louis now. Danny Wisentowski has been interviewing him for almost three years.
0: Airline hijackings almost destroyed, you know, what was sort of a civil institution, the idea of getting in a plane right off on the You know, not even eating, even buying a ticket on a plane after you've taken off. The idea that a plane was just, you know, another conveyance, maybe even a luxury you would get dressed up for. It it was something incredibly American in the sense of a frontier that had not yet been explored. And in a matter of years, you had men like Garrett and McNally destroy this idea
1: produced by Lauren Spohr, Nadia Wilson, and me. Audio mixed by Johnny Vince Evans. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best shows around. Shows like The Truth, a beautifully produced anthology of short, scripted stories. Their latest is a four-part serial called The Off-Season. It's a thriller that takes place in an abandoned beach house and goes deep into a world of crime, cover-ups, and whether or not redemption is ever possible. Subscribe to The Truth wherever you get your podcasts, or go to thetruthpodcast.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, this is criminal.
0: Radio from PRX.
1: Thanks to Progressive for their support.